Hello and welcome to the Performance Through Health podcast. We aim to inspire and educate our listeners through engaging conversations on all things health and fitness, mindset, business and philosophy. My name is Martin McPhillamy and I'm your host and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Performance Through Health podcast with me, Martin McPhillamy. And today I've got Matt Hughes on. So Matt is the uh, owner and director of Capital Property Advisory. Um, I'm not too sure what that is, Matt, and I think that's one of the reasons why I've actually got you on the show because I have no idea about buying property, no idea about retail. Um, you've also got a lot of stuff going on in your life at the moment. You've got a baby due, well, first, five days. <laughs> And you've got a big event coming up in terms of uh, putting you out of your comfort zone in terms of racing and fitness and performance as well. So I look at you as an individual who is you know, success, successful. You know, I, I, I'm really inspired by your work ethic. We've met a few times through mutual friends and a few events. And you seem to uh, you, know, you seem to be bossing in business. So I've come, I'm looking forward to chatting to you. <laughs> so Matt, um, take us through just uh, who you are, what you do. Um, what what capital property advisory is, and we'll we'll start off there. Okay, so we'll touch on the most important part first, which is the baby, which is due. Yeah, of course, yeah. I think four or five days yeah. now. Um, I've got a heavily pregnant wife at home, hence why my phone's in. So apologies <laughs> for being rude, but if that brings up, a go. I completely understand, mate. That's um, fine. Capital property advisory is my business that I started coming up four years ago. Uh, I've worked in the property industry for about uh, close to a decade now. Um, started out selling property, um, selling property to investors and then a bit naive at the time, didn't really realise what we were selling to people and had some good success with it but realised pretty quickly that it was probably not the best solution for the client. Okay. So um, I eventually took a job with a buyer's agency, a prominent buyer's agency in Perth and led the other side of the business so rather than selling things to people acting as an independent advisor Yeah. Um, and really sort of grew to love that side of it and slept a lot better at night knowing that providing the right solution for people. Yeah. Um, so learned a lot through that time there and then uh, decided to go out on my own about four years ago, initially just as a buyer's agency, but we've since evolved into more of a complete solution where we're able to acquire a property for an investor or an owner-occupier or a developer. Uh, if it's a developer, we do full feasibility studies. We can manage the project start to finish for them. Uh, so we've got a development manager in-house, mm. a project manager who's a registered builder, so we've got a pretty qualified team in there that uh, are doing a really great job of either managing client projects or actually managing our own now. We've got a yeah. job of our own on, up and running. So you're the overall hierarchy at the top that's directing people where to go and you're listening to what the client wants, what the client needs and, and then uh, approaching different, or you've got a team of people that then can invest and, and help build that sort of stuff? Yeah, so we'll, we'll sit with the client initially and approach it a little, we're not financial advisors, but we've sort of built the model around their model. Yeah. That. We, we take time to really understand the client get some information on their risk profile, their financial capacity, what they're trying to achieve and over what sort of time frame, mm -hmm. making sure that we're aligning the right solution with them. Yeah. Um, so we'll advise them on the overall strategy and then we sort of drill down to finding the right asset. Yeah. Um, so once we plug that asset in, then it's about helping them manage the risk and the cash flow to make sure they can hold that asset long term and get the benefit from it. Yeah. And what, what sort of audience, uh, do, you, do you cater for, for, for everyone or is it you're more looking for people who are looking for large, large, large complexes? No, we, we've got um, one client active at the moment looking for his first investment property. Yeah, okay. kid is 22 yeah. years old, um, budget of $350,000. Yeah. We actually discounted our fee for a little bit because I like helping out the, <laughs> yeah, of the course. kids and obviously you want to see them get off on the right foot. Um, that's not the sort of business that we actively target. Mm. Um, we work predominantly with luxury home builders and buyers and, and with developers um, and that's really the core of the business but we're not going to turn away someone who's, who's smart enough to come and engage a professional and seek out some help. We'll always mm. help them out. 
Yeah, so what sort of advice would you kind of give for, so sort of like myself who are probably, haven't, haven't got any properties and just like that young guy himself, would you be, what, what sort of investment would you be looking to, to, to do? Would you be you know, looking to rent to begin with or would you, if you've got the money to buy, where would you direct someone? A lot of that comes back to the client. So that's why yeah. we spend that time at the start. So a lot of companies out there are sort of, with the content they push out via social media and their website and everything else, they're all pitched, they attach themselves to a strategy yeah. because it's easier to market. Yeah. Um, we don't do that. We don't have a strategy that fits everybody. It's um, not, not like a template. No. Yeah. Look, at, for you, based on your budget and your risk profile, you might be better suited to just a, a sort of a lower maintenance, buy and hold type strategy. Yeah. Um, but if you have the risk profile and you have a little bit more capital available, you might be suited to either doing your own development or potentially investing into a development syndicate, which is something we do as well. Yeah. So it's really client dependent. Um, the main thing is, is that we're getting people into the right sort of property because when I first bought my when I bought my first property twenty plus years ago, you could buy anything and it would go up in value. Yeah, and I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, went up thirty percent the first year. Bear in mind, it was only ninety five thousand dollars. <laughs> That's how old I am. Um, but it's it's not like that anymore. So there's plenty of assets that have gone backwards over the last ten years. There's plenty that haven't grown at all. So you've really got to focus in on finding the right asset to make sure that you can hopefully outperform whatever the market's doing. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. Uh, it's it's not it's real good to know that there's people like yourself out there who can advise and who can guide the likes of individuals who just have no idea i wouldn't know the first thing i'd look at house and go oh that looks nice yeah i'll buy that but then it's like well you, what are you buying where, where are you buying um and then obviously 20 years ago you just said there was it, there wasn't much risk around buying around in wa because it, there was a boom or the, the boom was happening and now obviously we've seen a, a drop in the economy and there's been a, a bit of an issue going on is there has there been any improvements or any uh no where the economy is going at the moment because I've had you get so many mixed messages you get people saying oh yeah the mines are going to be booming again they're not going to be booming again are you seeing any changes in the industry yeah I think since the start of the year since probably late January which is normally when things kick back into gear we've we've just had our biggest month ever yeah um, I'm hearing the same thing from selling agents from finance brokers from a lot of the sort of peripheral services that we deal with Um, everyone's talking with a lot of confidence and it seems like it's actually happening now uh, albeit at a slow pace, but we're headed in the right direction. Whereas for the last three years, everyone's been talking about the green shoots of the yeah. market and, and it's coming and it's coming and it's, it's just never really materialized. What we're seeing at the moment is probably not actual growth in most areas, but mm-hmm. certainly more buyer activity, less stocks. All the leading indicators are pointing towards what I think will be a good, slow, moderate recovery this yeah. year heading into hopefully a more buoyant year next year. Yeah, so it's, it's not a bad time really to be starting to invest some money into, into, into properties and, and getting on there. Yeah, look, for some people, for most people, it's hard to buy when others aren't. People tend to follow the herd. Yeah. Um, whereas when you're investing, it's uh, it's generally the, the right strategies to go in when others aren't. Because for the last few years as buyers agents, we've had all the power. Yeah. We have active buyers who are financially qualified and ready to buy, and there's not a lot of buyers around. So all the leverage was, has been with us and that will slowly shift over time. And as it starts to shift and we lose that leverage, our ability to go out there and steal a property for you in 30, 40 grand under yeah. market value starts to disappear. Yeah, okay. So the timing timing on the last year was a great year for buying. This year will be also, but you will start to see a little bit more competition. So that's where 
us doing this all day, every day. Mm. Access to off-market deals and pre-market deals is where we add a lot of value so we can get in there quickly and secure something before that buyer competition arrives. Yeah. It's uh, it just, the amount that you, you're talking about, all these things in there, I, I mean, I, I understand and it's all advisory and it's it's amazing, but I just think to my parents back at home in England, think they never probably had anything like this when they were buying a house. They probably just looked at all the houses and you gone, Oh yeah, it's big enough for us to fit in. It's and that's that's about that's about it. But now it's gone, in, it, especially here. It's like if there's a whole industry that's out to advise people, um, make the deals. Like for me, it's like you, you see a price, and I'm the sort of individual who's probably too agreeable. So I'll probably go into these things and go, yeah, here's my offer. I'll offer you the price. Whereas, okay, go. In fact, actually, I'll probably invest some money into into yourself, and you'll probably just get more money off than than I'd invest in. So like, I'm already making money. Or saving money. Yeah, from that's the way to look at it. But a lot of people have an issue with sort of investing that money. They mm. see it as a cost rather than some value. Um, we sort of talk to clients um, about the fact that we charge about 2% for a, a normal sort of package yeah. to acquire a property, which is roughly what people pay to sell a property. And if yeah. there's any issue with paying the 2% to sell it, but they have an issue because it's not something that's really done over here. It's not a popular service. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's growing in popularity and it's far more popular on the East Coast. Yeah, okay. And in the US, there's a buyer's agent, a selling agent on just about every transaction. Yeah. So it's quite normal over there. Um, but people still have to try to wrap their head around the fact that they've got to part with some money and, a, and get, have some faith that we're going to deliver in terms of that value. Yeah. Um, but for the 2%, historically, we tend to add about 7 to 10% of value. So, exactly. Um, yeah. That's in the last few years in the buyer's market. Over time, as our ability to sort of negotiate much lower prices starts to disappear when the market shifts and it becomes more of a seller's market, our value will be more in the research and making sure we're buying something in the right area, the right sort of property or the due diligence that we do, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's it's big for me. The, the the investing into things to make more money is a, is a big concept that I'm dealing with at the moment. With with uh, you know the way that I'm moving into into business. Obviously, I've got a bit of cash that's saved in the bank, and everyone's just saying to me, "Look, if if it's sitting in the bank, it's doing nothing. Like you literally need to invest." that money to make it work for you. For me, that's investing into myself and into the business, but you can do exactly the same with, with homes. And that's what it's all about, right? There's a whole market out there where people can invest into, into stuff and just allow that money to, to flourish. That's right. Look, I think the, the main thing to understand is, uh, look, I, I agree on, uh, with your strategy at the moment because I'm reinvesting into multiple businesses at the moment and, and investing into myself is where I see the most return. Mm. Uh, we've also got some developments that we're doing um, but for some people who have that um, disposable income or that extra capital and they do want to invest it, there's not, nothing to be gained from having in the bank at the moment with today's cash rates. Mm. So it's a matter of finding, taking some action, getting into the market, whether it's shares or property or whatever tickles your fancy, and, and figuring out ways to keep the money in the market. Um, something I've learned through plenty of mistakes of chasing high returns on higher risk assets through my 20s and early 30s. It's not something I do anymore. I'm taking more of a long-term approach and figuring out ways to get money in the market and how do I keep it there long-term to get that benefit of compounding growth over time. Yeah, compounding is is a huge thing. You know, I listen to Tony Robbins talk about it all the time. And you know, he's, he talks about it. If you just invest a small amount of money from the age of 18 into a compound interest thing, it's like you could be, if people did that at that time and just gradually put, you, know, you could even put $50 in there. And then when you you pay, yeah, you pay, you know, when you pay rise increases by X amount, you just put one more percent in there. Before you know it, 20 years later, you've got millions in the bank because it's just that compound of, of interest. Yeah, and that's where starting young is the, the biggest asset you can have. Um, if you leave it, if you come and sit with me at 50 or 55, you probably miss the boat. It's not the time to be taking on risk and debt and leverage. Mm. 
But if you're your age, if you're in your early 30s and you're starting now and just chipping away at it and just putting a small, even though you're obviously trying to get your business off the ground and investing most of it into that, mm. you can still have a small strategy to put aside some money and you will see that benefit over a period of decades. Yeah, I reckon I need yeah. to get into that. Thanks, Matt. That was the, no, just a small bit of advice in there for myself. That was that was probably a bit of a selfish thing just to try and get a bit of information out of you. But. <laughs> so baby, baby number one. Baby number one. How's, yeah. How do you feel about that? How's that making you feel? Um, I thought I'd be more nervous and yeah. possibly scared, uh, yeah. but I'm just, I'm super excited. I just can't wait to to get the, the hospital part of it done and to bring her home. I'm just really looking forward to having her in the, the beautiful little room that yeah. my wife and I have set up for her and yeah, just getting on with it. It's, um, yeah, I just can't wait to meet her. Yeah. So you found out the, the sex then, obviously. When, when... The, yeah. I'm, as you know, like you said, yeah. I'm a bit of a science Nerd. Yeah. Uh, so we we did all the genetic testing before okay. we started down this path to make sure that there were potential no potential problems. Yeah. There. Uh, we did the harmony test at uh, ten weeks, I think it is, to yeah. rule out a few potential negatives, but also to find out the sex because I like to plan things. It's yeah. For a living. Yeah. <laughs> something else prepared to lead to chance. Um, and I'm also impatient. I wanted to know what we we're having. Yeah. And my wife didn't argue with me, which was great. Yeah, okay. And obviously, it's 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 50-50, it's boy or girl, right? So how, how does it make, when you think of a, you know, you have a little girl running around and bringing a, a girl into the world, how does that I make like, you feel? I used to, when I was younger, just want, I wanted boys. Yeah, it's, it's the same as. It's all about sports. Yeah. You know, I, want to, I want to take them to the gym and basketball and football and whatever else it may be. Um, but now that I've, I've got a few close friends, because I'm having kids quite late in life, I'm 42 this year. And so a lot of my friends have already been through this. And a yeah. lot of my male, good male friends have had daughters. And seeing that relationship has sort of warmed me to the idea of having a daughter. And then when we found out we were having one, I've really warmed to it. So yeah. that's where I think it's preferable. I'd like... I like the idea of having a daughter first because I think it'd probably be a little bit easier than a crazy little version of it. <laughs> um, and also, if we were to have another girl, then I'm okay with that because then the, I think sisters would be fantastic. They'll get along great, hopefully, mm. and, and they can look after each other. Um, yeah. Or if we had a boy, I'd be stoked as well because then I get all that benefit of yeah. the sport. Not that you can't play sport with your daughter, but, yeah, it's, yeah, um, yeah. but it's something that, um, that I've always sort of pitched to teaching my kid how to play basketball and teaching them all the yeah. things that I've implemented in my life in terms of health and fitness and, and obviously that will apply to my daughter as well. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm exactly the same. Like, um, I, I look at, it's, it's a means to... Look at what you like, especially in sport. If you are into sport, and I always was, I really enjoyed sport as a kid. But I got to my late teens, where I was probably going too hard, early twenties, and I just had too many. I got picked up too many injuries because now the knowledge that I have about it now is like, actually, I can probably feed that back and go like, actually, you, you could probably improve it. And I never want to force sport. I mean, if I had a son or a daughter and they didn't want to do sport, at the end of the day, it's got to be it's their life. You can't just force it. But you, through your actions and who you are, they're just going to naturally take to your your personality, and they're going to get out running they're going to get Hopefully, out and do yeah. it so that, it's, that, that's a big part of sort of my motivation this year doing the events in utah um i want to set that example for my kids mm. i think you can you can say things but they're going to follow what you do more than anything yeah. so um making sure that i'm setting that example that um hopefully they think dad's a badass at some point yeah. um when i'm out there sort of climbing mountains and doing ultra yeah. marathons and that sort of stuff um that's the example i want them to see yeah it's uh, i was i listened to a lot of jordan peterson and he talks about raising kids and stuff like that and it comes from a, a lot of that yeah it's really interesting coming from that clinical psychological standpoint and how he labels uh, it's like they, they they see you as as a spirit so they see you as like an abstract of all your behaviors and that's just they're mapping that on into the world it's like it, it's, it's some, some of it's scary because like I don't, I don't want you to pick up this little behavior I don't want you to pick up this little behavior so in a way do you reckon it was straighten he's going to straighten you out a bit more do you reckon it, it has, yeah yeah I'm already more conscious of what I do what yeah. I say 
I'm a hypercritical person of myself anyway, mm. um, and I'm, I try to sort of keep that in check. Yeah, uh, we spoke about this this morning when we were out training, but um, I think I've become more so now, just sort of trying to police my own behaviour a little bit more, make sure that I am preparing myself to be that example. Yeah, it's, I think if you take it seriously. It is scary, yeah, um, because you realise the impact that you can have, positive or negative, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that obviously myself and my wife do take very seriously. Yeah, and hopefully we can, yeah, be decent parents, yeah. and, uh, and set that example and have some great kids. It, I mean, it's human nature that there's always going to be negatives. It's, we're just self-conscious individuals. Like you, know, you just said that you're a hypercritical individual. That would have come from your parents somewhere. So it's like you, we just going to need to just go. We be aware of it, but not let it be. Uh, let you dance around children. I think we've we've you know, kids. One of my opinions is if is that if you're too protective or uh, don't allow them to and you nurture them too much, you've got to let them to fail and, and fall over and play and hurt themselves and and get out there and you know learn to just be be more resilient. And I think they don't think there's enough of that in the, in in the world at the moment. Building resilience is something I've done a bit of research and reading on. In yeah, because I think it's something that's probably lacking in today's society because they've got it so much easier than we do. Yeah, we did. Um, and it's something that I'm quite conscious of. Um, it's yeah, when there's so much to learn, and you can overdo it, and you can overthink things. And I think at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm a person that goes out, and takes risks, and does these different things. Yeah, of course. Also, when I'm around my friends' kids, I'm a bit of a helicopter parent. Yeah. I think I'll get better with that once I have my own, there, and you just get used to it. Yeah. But I'm always the one sort of like, yeah, I'm trying to catch their head when they're about to fall. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So I'm gonna to have to learn how to just chill out a little bit and not be that guy. Yeah, I think I've, with my uh, my partner Grace, her, uh, she, her, her she's got niece, uh, nieces and nephews, and they they, they go out and play and stuff like that. And Grace is a bit like, oh, be careful. I'm like, go for it, go on, like get up the stairs, like be careful. Like obviously you'd be mindful that you like, of danger, yeah. but also you just sitting behind them is allowing them to crawl up the stairs like okay if you're going to take that route i'm going to be there but i'm also going to be mindful that if you try and fall that you've got to just make them learn through through the failure and 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 because otherwise they don't learn of like also pain and things like that and you probably listened to heard the jordan piece and it's like their bodies when they're younger it's just their way of of learning what what is what it's like they touch everything they put everything in their mouth what they're trying to figure out their senses so I'm, i'm really excited for you to uh to to go on that journey of just learning because i've got a friend uh carl and lauren that just had a baby uh, i think five weeks ago yeah. and he i seen him just yesterday come around for, for a short period and he said it's amazing like how much you have to just learn about their behaviors and like what crying means to them but it's like the, the, lauren's like the, the, the mom is obviously nurturing and they, they it's, they're more aware of that and i think it's incredible that you can pick up on just cry means x y or z and for him to say oh it's it was easy for us to pick up i'm like what it's it's a noise yeah but going through that behavior you we, can have um, we've just started watching this documentary on netflix called baby so yeah time release for us yeah and um and it's it's all science based and there's, there's so much information that we have available to us now mm. that my parents wouldn't have even thought of. exactly but they figured it out yeah yeah half decent yeah um so the, put too much pressure on yourself and try and take in too much information yeah. and try and figure everything out um which is probably my what i'm prone to do mm-hmm. um i think i'll have to just try and find a balance between just enjoying and letting them yeah. do their thing um and i think my wife will balance it out for me I was, ba- I was about to ask you that just is becky a bit more kind she's of so much more yeah. than she'll than i am um, yeah 
she's had the very cruisy pregnancy other than a couple of little hiccups um she's had it pretty easy mm. and she's just not stressed about anything yeah. she's just yeah it makes the i think it'll hopefully that'll reflect in the kids and they don't pick up my crazy monkey brain and <laughs> chill like mum. Um, but she grew up on a farm with three older brothers. Yeah, okay. So she's very much about let let them fall, let them yeah. sort of figure it out themselves, because that's obviously she had a pretty rough and tumble upbringing with three older brothers. Yeah, and um, and so that should be a pretty good balance, I think, between yeah. the two of us. She's got a pretty big big bump there, hasn't she? She does. She hasn't um hasn't really shown it anywhere else. No. And so she's just got this massive baby weight on her, <laughs> and um, and she's not a big girl, so it's. She's had it pretty easy up until the last couple of weeks. She's just all normal things. Like mm. just, she's really feeling the weight, obviously, yeah. um, and she's just obviously puffed and short of breath all the time. Yeah, but she's she's due to go and get induced on Wednesday evening, and um, today being Saturday, and yesterday she was at Pilates. Oh, <laughs> so, a fair play so to her. Yeah, so yeah. she's still pushing through it. She's a little warrior. Yeah, yeah. I had like I say, Lauren, who just had one five weeks ago. She's a personal trainer, and she's she. And I've I've got other people who train that uh, or keep themselves fit, and they said, look, if uh, if if we weren't fit, it's been so much more difficult to 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 go through through labour. And I think the amount of people that aren't keeping themselves fit and active, and then they've got to go through this traumatic experience of pushing a baby out. It's no wonder there's so many emergency C sections and cesareans and that, that go on at the moment, and pretty much like. You hear these stories of our oh, no, the private health companies just want to get them out and do that, but because there's so many people that are unfit out there, they're probably not fit enough to to give birth. Yeah, yeah. So we're hoping for a natural birth. Yeah, but we'll take the advice of the doctor. Yeah, of course. Otherwise. Yeah. Um, so, and but it's nice that we're getting induced because it allows me to be the planner. That yeah. Plan around <laughs> things now and figuring out important things like when's the wedding of the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously you've just talked about a little bit of uh, the individual you are. You call yourself hypercritical and like it's likes to plan. Have you always been like that? Were you like that as a, as, a, as, a, as a young kid, as a teenager? Yeah, I guess probably, I think the, the drive that I have now that translates into business probably mm. came from sports originally. Yeah. So my parents did what I hope to do for my kids, which is just expose me to everything and figured out what I liked. And then I developed a passion for basketball. Yeah. And that became my thing. And I played, um, I did a state level here. I went and played high school basketball in America. I went to high school over there yeah, okay. um, for a year. <clears throat> and um, and got over there and realized, like I thought I was a pretty competitive guy and thought I was a decent basketballer. And I got over there to just a division two high school in California. Yeah. And it was just a different level. Really? I realized, yeah, there's levels to this. Like I, I thought, I mean, that's just Division 2. I can't imagine what Division 1 would have been like. Just the, the level of not just the players but the supporters. The, it's just everything was mm. about these basketball games and winning. And I spoke to you this morning about I had an injury as soon as I got there and you just play through it because everyone yeah. just looked down their nose at you if you, if you yeah. just practice. Yeah. So that sort of mentality that no longer really exists in sport because we're a bit smarter with the yeah. way that we recover and look after our bodies. Um, but that that sort of drive, I think, came from wanting to be the best at basketball. Yeah. And then that sort of translated into investing and, and business and now into back into sports again with these annual events that we're running. Yeah, nice segue. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you've got a big race coming up. Uh, it's not a race, but yeah, it's a... It's a I'm glad it's not a race because yeah. it sounds pretty brutal. <laughs> well, b- before we go into that, we were meant to go for a run this morning. If anyone's been to uh, what's, what's it, Ball, Park. Ball Park in uh, in uh, City Beach, I put my uh, my weight vest on and I thought I'm going for a run for 5Ks and I haven't run for 10 years. So I'm, I'm there and I'm getting pumped from adrenaline. I'm thinking, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And he rocks up and goes, 
because you said you haven't run for a while, we'll, we'll just do it. We'll do just do a stroll this time. And like, I was in my part of me was just like, uh, do I agree to this or do I not agree to this? Yeah. Do, do I do I step out of my comfort zone and say, nah, let's do a run? And then you said, yeah, you had a couple of drinks last night and you were just settled for that. So I was kind of happy. I was like six thirty in the morning. Yeah, I'll go the easy route. <laughs> yeah, I slept off this morning. I'm sure you were grateful for it. Um, but even with the, the vest on, just hiking that five k loop of all hills. Yeah. You, you get a little workout in, so that was enough for me today. Yeah, definitely. So it's still five months out, so I'm going to be killing myself this early. Yeah. So in five months' time, um, where what's the end goal of 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 where you want to be so in terms of this uh, the event? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it's starting with, obviously, the training I've been doing, just building a base and getting my legs back under me because I haven't run or hiked or climbed anything for a while. Yeah. Um, the last big event like this I did was five years ago and we ran the Cape to Cape down south and raised some money for a charity that I was on the board of at the time. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. And yeah. I didn't do it again for five years, yeah. which I look back and regret. What's the distance of that? Uh, just under 140 k's in a couple of days. So that's a, that's like ultra marathon then, isn't it? Yeah. So we got we got through 70 kilometers the first day, and it's a lot of it is soft sand, um, rabbit trails. It's 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 beautiful though. So that takes your mind off it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you get to the end of that day, and then we slept, and then started again the next day, and that was the tough bit, trying to get the body moving again after yeah. 70 k's the previous day. Did you did you find that you actually managed to sleep? I did. Yeah, I slept well. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Food into me, slept well. And chuck the compression shorts on, some magnesium oil, and everything else. And, yeah. And woke up not too bad. Yeah. Um, I guess when you're that stiff and sore, once the body gets moving, you, you get a bit of a lather up, you, you tend to be all right. Yeah, awesome. Um, but the, the experience of that, because the charity was um, the Peter Hughes Burn Foundation. Yeah. And so we had um, a relay team of burn survivors. Oh, really? With us. Oh, wow. So they would. Um, um, Matt Galinsky, the celebrity chef, yep. um, he came over and, and ran it with us and he's a, a pretty good runner, probably better runner than most of us that were doing it, uh, but he was still recovering from his injuries and then we had um, one of the other guys who was on the board at the time um, who I think had burns to most of his body and had maybe 30 or 40% lung capacity. Mm. So if you're thinking about complaining about your leg soreness yeah. at that stage when that person's running next to you, you probably should just shut up. Yeah, when when I first started doing my training as a as a healthcare scientist, we did um I did like a rotation between cardiac, respiratory, sleep, and vascular, and we had to go and do some scans on a person who had had been burned and just to, to check all their you know, all the veins and their arteries and stuff in their legs, and it was probably one of the most like. Uh, overwhelming experiences is to go into a, a burns area where you've got a you've got to pretty much suit up like it completely because they're so prone to infection and they've got like 60 70 percent burns on them and it's like you look at these individuals and, and it does just make you go i'm so grateful for for not having that but then you, know, you do get the likes of people overcoming these major events and traumatic events that have happened and gone. It makes them, if they, they can either go one way or another, can't they? They can either get in that victim mindset. In my time with the yeah. Um, and it's gut wrenching stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, on top of the lung capacity, they, they're not sweating either. There's yeah. So there's so much working against them. And yeah. These guys stepping in to do um, relay legs of between sort of three to five kilometers up to sort of 20, Matt Kalinsky was doing. Yeah. That's pretty inspiring stuff. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sorry, yeah. I was just, so I haven't actually outlined what the actual event is. So distance, where it is, what it so is. This is going to be the first of an annual event now. Uh, okay. So we're going to let another five years go without yeah. doing something like this. Um, and so we're going to raise some money again for food banks. So we'll be kicking off with that soon. Um, and we're trying to raise. The goal is going to be 
I think the goal is going to be $37,000 we want to raise because that's going to cover the cost of some equipment they need for their kitchen, mm. double the um, the output of meals that they provide to people from 50000 to to 100000 a year. Yeah. So it's a tangible difference that we're still making, which is going to be nice and motivating. Yeah, of course. For four or five <laughs> um, but the actual event itself is in Utah. So myself and my wife and our five-month-old daughter yeah. will jump on a plane um, and head over to LA and then to Utah and settle in for a couple of days and yeah. try to climatize and then we will go it's an organized event yeah um it's 250 up to 250 competitors and we're not it's not a race we're not competing against each other it's really just a race to finish um you want to try and get through the 13 laps of the mountain so we climb the mountain gondola down and repeat Mm -hmm. and you've got 36 hours to finish it yeah okay so we um each i believe each lap takes on average about an hour and a half yeah Um, it's a, on average a 19% gradient and yeah. it's probably up and down. Yeah, it's pretty and steep. it's pretty rough terrain. So it's, you're sort of hiking with poles most of the time, but then you might be um, climbing over some, some rocky sort of terrain and yeah, it looks, it looks like it'll be pretty challenging. Yeah. So um, myself and uh, one of my best mates who lives in Houston is coming up to do it with me, which will be amazing. Um, so I'm just really looking forward to getting over there and hopefully I've done enough training to actually enjoy it and I'm not putting myself through too, too much pain. Nah, you will have, like we had a big conversation all about the training this morning and I think you, you know, you're aware of what you need to do. You're aware that at this point now it's about getting that base level and making sure that you've got the overall fitness to just get up the mountain that many times and then obviously you'll ramp up the intensity as you get up there and you, you even mentioned to me taper and not many people think of that straight away. At my age, you've <laughs> uh, probably 50% of my goal is just not to get hurt so I don't yeah. want to get injured during training just yeah. because I don't want to miss time and I don't want to go into the event with an injury so I'll be pushing myself in training but also being mindful that I need to be doing it wisely yeah so what sort of training are you, are you doing at the moment then for it um, I started out um, just with some light jogging just really just sort of 3-4 k's just to start to get my legs back under me because I hadn't done any running really since the ultra yeah that, that really, really? Took out of me yeah, yeah. The, the training for that peaked with us doing, with me doing eight and a half laps of that loop we did this morning. So I did a marathon of hills in training. And that's not only physically hard, obviously, but the, just being out there for seven hours, I think mm. it was in 35 degree heat on your own. There's only so many podcasts and stuff you <laughs> listen to before you start to lose your mind. So the, um, so I, um, so back to your question, what was it? So the question was, what sort of training are you actually doing at the moment? Uh, so, a lot of ballpark, so yeah. a lot of that loop's great for just getting some some hills in without having to travel too far from home. We spoke about the fact that there's obviously some hills in or just outside Perth, but yeah. tacking on 30 or 40 minutes of travel onto my two or three hour training with a baby on the way yeah. doesn't really work. Um, so the most convenient option I've got is I've got a gym set up at home and we've got a, a commercial treadmill that goes up to the 15% gradient. Yeah. And so I've been hiking on that at a decent pace, but with a harness on with some resistance bands tied to an anchor. Yeah. Um, so I tend to start with more resistance and then drop it throughout. Yeah. Um, and just trying to get as many hours on that as I can. So yeah. I, at the moment, I'm sort of I'm struggling with it mentally a little bit, just the, the monotony of just churning on a, on a treadmill. Um, but it's just something I'm going to have to get used to, I think. Do you listen to much Goggins, David Goggins? I've got a Goggins poster I've just ordered. Yeah. Um, who's going to carry the boats? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. Look, I love that motivate. I love that cheesy motivational stuff. Yeah. Rocky Four is one of my yes. All time. Rocky Four is incredible. Um, and I've got pod, uh, not podcasts. I've got playlists that I listen to the sort of motivating music, but with like um, voiceovers. Yeah. Like okay. And I sent it to a friend of mine that's doing the event with me, and he just thought it was the cheesiest all the time. But I listen to it, and I get I get goosebumps. I love it. Um, so yeah, I think. Um, 
the the training will start to ramp up probably I think they're going to distribute a 20 week program for us so I'm sort of just just toiling with a few different things still enjoying my strength training that I do mm -hmm. and just really trying to just raise my general fitness in order to kick off with their training program at the 20 week mark and they don't really want to see encouraging us not to be yeah. too soon and do too much yep. which is fine by me <laughs> but I'm looking forward to ramping it up and sort of really getting some strength in my legs and and hopefully getting to the point where, as I said, I can really just breeze, not breeze through it, it's going to hurt, but and really enjoy it and do it with a smile on my face. Yeah. So that's, uh, I think that's really inspiring. Like, uh, there's obviously, even the likes of myself, like I say, I've got a lot on in my life at the moment, but you've, you know, you're head of a big business. You've got a baby during five days. You're planning for this. And you told me that you weren't creative earlier. And it was interesting that you've just made all that, you've got, you've, you've managed to get the training in and you've managed to create the you know the, the outline of what you need to do despite having all this pressure on you and i think that what, what people don't look at when they when they think of creativity they think oh, i can't draw i can't paint but you've got that That's yeah. yeah you've got that tension point where you've got a goal where you need to get to and you're making as much as you can or doing as much as you can to make sure that you get to that goal in my eyes that's what creativity is I've not looked at it like that, so yeah. I guess there's a little bit of creativity in me. Yeah. yeah. So I was more talking about the fact that I can't draw to save my artistic value whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I guess there is some creativity in sort of creating the businesses that I have and the different divisions and, and the way that we do things and the approach that we have that I guess that you could probably call that some level of creativity. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly don't put a paintbrush in my hand. <laughs> So how's the diet looking? Are you uh, what sort? Because of, obviously uh, it's a endurance event. It's you know it's it's a long event where you just got to slug it out. What, what are you sort of thinking, or what do you run on? Do you, do you run on prefer? Because we spoke about you. You went to keto and you. Yeah, you, I, I use the keto diet occasionally as an intervention diet when my diet's not very good. Okay. So I, I, I'm generally sort of a person who goes from one extreme to another. So coming out of Christmas and the new year, obviously you've, you've had some time with family, you're eating a lot of rubbish food, and I didn't really break that cycle through January. So I thought, okay, let's, let's do something extreme here and just drop the booze completely and go full, like strict keto. So yeah. I had a budget of about 30 grams of carbs a day, yeah. which I would stick to, which is pretty much just what you get through vegetables. Yeah. Um, and obviously with that diet, just getting enough fat into you is the difficult part. So yeah. just figuring out ways to try and hack the system to get all that fat in my body early so you're not chasing fat yeah. in your diet later at night. Um, and that had an amazing effect like it has done in the past. My body reacts really well to it. I get into ketosis quite quickly. Okay. Um, I dropped three kilos in the first week, whether that was fluid or weight or whatever. Yeah. I, I was lighter. So the run that I went on, the loop that we did this morning, which was 5Ks, we did a 7K loop with a couple of friends of mine two weeks prior to me doing this diet, and I dragged my ass around there. It was really difficult. Um, and then I did the exact same run two weeks later with no running training in between, other than uh, the only change was obviously the diet and dropping out all alcohol. And it was like I had three months of training under my belt. Yeah. And so it just helped me realize, obviously, we know that, that drinking too much or eating too much carbs or sugar or whatever it may be is not good for you. But seeing it well, so with those two runs side by side and feeling that impact has really sort of resonated with me. So now that I'm off keto, I'm still, I've always been relatively low carb anyway. Yep. I'm just, I'm saying no to desserts and I'm not snacking on all these sorts of things. Um, and then intermittent fasting is something I generally do. So yep. when I'm training in the morning, not for more than an hour, I generally do that fasted. Yeah. Uh, maybe just a black coffee beforehand. Yeah. 
um, and try and train sort of fast for about 14 to 16 hours or thereabouts. Yeah, and you, are you matching up, uh, you know, do you know the amount, the amount that you're consuming, do you know the calories that you're consuming or what you should be consuming for the amount of training that you're doing? I've got a reasonable idea for, because when I'm on keto, I use the Carb Manager app. Okay. And that sort of, that really helped educate me on the amount of calories I was consuming and the macros and everything else, because I was, I knew a little bit, but I was relatively ignorant of it. Um, so that helped me a little bit. So now I can, I don't really need to use the app once I get started. I just yeah. know now. Yeah. Um, but I was probably working to a calorie deficit. I think I'd set the app to about 20% deficit, I think, um, which with the amount of training I was doing, was probably not enough food. So yeah, I yeah, yeah. it a little yeah. bit as I went through. So just listening to my body and realizing, okay, well, I was trying to lose a little bit of weight, but I'm I'll probably undernourished a little bit for the amount of training I'm doing. I'm not feeling great. Mm-hmm. So let's just tweak a little bit and add a little bit more calories. Yeah, I mean, there's so many talks. Uh, you know, people talk about ketosis. People talk about uh, all these different diets and stuff. And a lot of uh, influencers on social media are, are talking about uh, you know, fat loss, and it's fat loss is complete opposite to performance. You know, with performance, if anything, you want to be in a slight uh, calorie surplus, like one, two hundred, three hundred calories higher, so you've got a bit of energy to recover. So. Good, you know, great job getting that weight off now because having that ex- excess weight on you is going to only going to be less efficient getting up a, in a mountain. We've had you know, 10k weights on us walking around today, and I could feel myself like, "Geez, I'm breathing heavy," and it's just walking. So I think you've 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 timed it perfect. So if there's any advice that I could probably give you is just making sure that now you, you're trying to as you ramp up your training, it's going to be trying to keep that level of of calories a little bit higher than you probably would, and the further you get into more intense training keep keep rising that but keeping an eye on your weight you constantly keep an eye on your weight and obviously if your weight goes up you just bring it back down again and that's almost how you can practically just keep it keep it manageable to that to that level of uh, you need to be at high performance and it's interesting that you you, you say that you know when, you, when you're on the ketosis that despite uh, placebo or whatever it is there's a lot of evidence to suggest that in in endurance sports or low impact uh, long long distance sports that ketogenic diet's the way to go for some individuals yeah I've, I've seen ultra runners on keto you see ultra runners on plant-based diets yeah. as well the guy that runs the event in utah um jesse itzler is his name he's, he's very yeah he's, he's on there joe rogan quite a bit isn't he he's been on there he's the one that had goggins come and live with him for y- month yeah about it. um really interesting guy um and great a great follow on instagram um he's so he's a He's worth a few hundred million dollars from his previous endeavors with Marquee Jets that he sold to Warren Buffett and a coconut water company sold to Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. Prior to that, he was uh, he was managing Run DMC and was a rapper himself. He's a 53-year-old white guy who used to be a rapper. Um, so you got 10 years yet yourself. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's, he's a pretty brilliant sort of guy, hyper in it, like energy and just mm. great to follow and, and, and inspiring sort of guy. So he's put these um, these events together and I think they do three of them now in various locations throughout the year. Yeah. 250 people per. You go, They set up base camp. It's like proper glamping. They, it's an expensive ticket to get in but they provide everything. So mm. they'll have physios there and masseuses and all the, the latest tech to help you recover. Yeah. Um, and you're just camping at the base with all the other like-minded people. So And he'll be there. Um, and I'm sure there's a few other people that you might know that will be there as well, part of this circle that yeah. uh, I'll get the opportunity to interact with exactly. and spend some time with. And if I can line up one of my hikes with them and get an hour and a half with them, 
that'll pay, pay for the ticket itself. Do you, want, do you want to take a mic with you? Yeah. <laughs> we will be, I am actually going to um, get myself a, like a chest um, yeah. GoPro and, and we'll get a bunch of footage and hopefully put together a decent video when we're back and use that to promote the next one next year, which will be Perth-based one so other people can get involved. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to uh, see my legs, get my legs moving again and see if I can get involved. <laughs> it's likely going to be at Bold Park. Um, yeah, okay. Between, it's early stages, but we're talking about um, doing a last man standing event. Yeah. So that loop, you can run that loop pretty comfortably about 30, 35 minutes. Um, so we're talking about maybe a 45-minute time frame where you start a loop. Mm-hmm. If you finish in 35, you get 10 minutes rest and you kick off again every 45 minutes and you keep going until you drop. Yeah, yeah. Um, so doing it in Perth and getting some other real estate people I know and a few other friends and colleagues involved, we can raise a lot more money and a lot more awareness or whatever it is we align with, whether it's food bank or another charity yeah. this year. And um, and that'll be a that'll bring out the competitive side in me. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Because whilst Utah will be very challenging, it's not a competition. Yeah. Um, and I do miss not having that sort of competitive um, sort of event in my life. So um, this will be a good one for me next year. And there'll be some tough guys in there that I'll have to try and yeah. beat out. So. Yeah. Certainly no shoe in for the win, but I'll give it a go. I can definitely relate to that competitiveness. I mean, I've not been in competitive sport for a long time. And I think the last time I really competed with myself in terms of physicality was just when I did a, you know, a 12 week body transformation, but that was going back two years ago. Sure. And um, it, like when you're in that zone of, of, you know, you've got a goal or you've got someone to compete against and it raises, you know, it's like you raise your, your levels. I think that you, we even know in the science, it raises testosterone. It makes you more masculine. It, it almost just makes you more focused in all areas of your life. And we were talking about it earlier. You know, you're saying this is you know, right now you, 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 you've got some focus on your life and um, you find and that's going into areas of your life as well, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, whilst we're raising money and it's, it's, a, it's something that we do, I do to sort of give back a little bit, it's not a completely selfless thing. I get a lot out of doing these events as well across every area of my life. Mm. Um, I think it just makes me a better person when I'm, if given the opportunity to be lazy, if I don't have a lot to do, I'll be lazy. Yeah. But if I take on twice as much as I can handle, it'll bring out the best of me and I'll step up and that's what I'm sort of doing at the moment and it's working well. Yeah. And how sustainable it is long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once the event's finished and I can maybe have a few months of just sort of bit more relaxed and a sort of a little bit less training and a little bit more family time yeah yeah but for right now it's it does translate into just being up early get my training done i'm in the right mindset i'm motivated i'm just trying to sort of be a better version of myself all the time which sounds cheesy but that's that's sort of the way i'm feeling mm. at the moment with everything yep. that's happening and um and so yeah i get benefit from these events as well so we get to raise the money and give something back and raise some awareness for food bank but also I'm getting probably 50% of the benefits through my business and it's a lot of exposure there, but mainly just for me and my mentality and, and sort of my productivity. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's where the whole concept of, of performance through health comes from. It's like having that end goal to pull you forward. Uh, and but, but, but like you say, is it sustainable? So I've got trying to put a structure or have a framework or a structure together where it's keeping you healthy and keeping that mindset in place and and then having you know proximity is a big one we've just you've just discussed having those people around you, you know if you're going to event you've got the likes of jesse itzler and some of our athletes around you you're going to feel pumped and you're going to be in the zone right and you, you'll know it from business as well we've met up a few times with breakfast and stuff and if you can get consistently like that and get in the proximity of people who are going in a similar direction you can't drop out well you can but you're going to feel like a failure yeah. And if you're not the person who wants to fail, it's not an option, right? 
Yeah. So um, before we touch on the actual charity itself, because I want to do, I want to just get, get some good exposure of what the charity is and what they're and what they're doing. I just want to talk about the. So you mentioned base camp. What's the altitude of of, of this base camp? It's not that high. As I, I've, I'm not completely read in on sort of the impacts yeah. of where we're going to be. I think we're starting at about six and a half thousand feet. Yeah. I think we climb to around nine thousand. Yeah. And from what I understand, um, that's where some people start to feel the effects. Yeah. And I've not been in it before, so I don't know what it's going to do to me. I'm hoping it's not going to be too much of a factor. Yeah. Um, but it, look, it's going to be difficult either way. And at the, at the end of the day, the pain kicks in and you're tired and you, you want to go and sit down, but you just keep putting one, one foot in front of the other yeah. and you'll be fine. So unless I encounter any serious medical problems, because yeah. I doubt at that altitude, no. I think I'll, I'll just push through and I'll be fine. Yeah, I think uh, the, you know, the main thing I've discussed on one of my previous podcasts about a little bit about altitude and how and and how it can impact you. But being a respiratory scientist, it, we had to learn a lot about how uh, just lower levels of oxygen are going to increase uh, ventilation, which is actually going to make it because f- ventilation's the uh, which is is breathing for sorry if there's not out there don't understand what ventilation is. Um, it's 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 your breathing rate and the depth that you breathe. So, but what that feeds back to your brain is actually how difficult you perceive exercise. It's one of the biggest Im- indicators of how we actually feel the amount of effort we're putting in. I had a weight vest on today, I could feel I was breathing a lot heavier. I just think instantly you go to your brain, it sends a signal saying it's a bit more effort. Um, that's why I wanted to break through because these power breathe pro- pro- things that I've brought over, which are essentially inspiratory muscle training, they help with like, the likes of uh, altitude training and they, they lower the, uh, the the breathing efficiency. They make you more efficient at breathing. So I'll give you one of these to take away with you. Because, I didn't even see those there, yeah. but I didn't know what they were. Um, yeah. And my next question to you was going to be, is there a way, because I know that you've got these oxygen deprivation mm. masks and I've read different things about whether they're actually beneficial for helping when you're in altitude. Mm. Um, this is a similar sort of thing, isn't it? So the, the, those masks are gimmicks. So, yeah, they, there's no evidence to suggest that they actually do anything at all. If anything, they just make you feel like you're training harder and it just makes you train worse. Okay. So they're just they're just marketed very, very well. They've got all cheesy face things all over them so people look like – and they get people wearing them where they look like, you know, the, the bane – it makes you it makes you look it makes you look tough. You train this thing, but what these are actually doing is it's, it's like weight training for your for your diaphragm and for your, in, for your inspiratory muscles essentially. And what it does is it makes your, your your diaphragm and all those muscles stronger. So just imagine you go to the gym and you're trying to you know, you're deadlifting 120 or 130 whatever. You do that consistently consistently and then you gradually increase the weight when you come back to doing that 120 it's going to feel easier right so what happens is it actually makes the breathing easier so number one you perceive exercise to be um uh, not as difficult the, the, the rate of perceived exertion is lower using technical terms but the amount of blood that we actually use to breathe when we're at altitude or we've got high levels of ventilation we actually take around about 17 to 20 percent of our cardiac output to to the diaphragm and the breathing muscles and that redistributes the blood away from your legs or the working muscles back into into to breathe because it's more important to breathe than it is to run in the grand scheme of death so what what the so what they in the human body so what these do is they just actually they reduce what that's called the the respiratory metabolic reflex they reduce that so you get more blood going to the blood to the legs so you recover faster so exercises, you get more nutrients, more glucose, everything going to the legs. So I would dec- definitely recommend power brief inspiratory muscle training, 100%. Yeah. And we yeah. could- it's, it's this question I was going to ask you today anyway, so I'm glad you answered that. And, um, <laughs> 
after our chat this morning, I think I probably do need to sit with you after this and probably engage you to put together yeah. some, perhaps a nutrition plan around yeah. the plan that these guys are going to provide us with. Yeah. And probably give me some feedback on their plan as well and make sure it's the right thing and the right approach for me and my body coming into this because obviously everyone's different. I'm probably a little bit older than some of the other people. Do <laughs> so I'll make sure that we're avoiding injuries and making sure that I'm looking after my body as we ramp up. Uh, mate, I'm, I am more than keen to, to, to help you and support you. you know, it's a real great cause. Um, so food bank, what, 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 what is, uh, obviously that's where people go to collect food, but what, can you just give a bit of insight into about the, the company and, the, and what they do? Yeah, so food bank, um, we did a tour of their um, facility about a month ago. Um, they took myself and my wife and um, my wife's father, um, who actually does a lot of charity work in Esperance. They run Esperance Care Services. And so they, they've had involvement with Food Bank in the past. The food Bank provides um, meals for them for emergency care for people who are in need. So that's essentially what Food Bank are doing, obviously, are providing meals to people who need them. Yeah. Um, and when you get in there and you see the scale of their operation and they've got a, a freezer and a fridge that is, it's a warehouse basically that they've got and it, the freezer goes all the way to the, to the roof, which must be, so it might be 30 feet or something. And um, it's massive. You can get a fork truck, a forklift into the, the freezer. And it's just packed full of, a lot of it's discarded food. So you, people like Coles and these other big sort of conglomerates, rather than discarding stuff, they give it to Food Bank and um, they do various things with it. But one of the things they do is that, and where we're trying to get involved to help their, their actual kitchen, mm. is they've got a chef or chefs in there who look at the food that they've been given and come up with something that they can make that's going to be a nice meal for people and then pump out a thousand of them or whatever it yeah. might be and package them up and they seal them all so it looks like a little microwave meal. Yeah, okay. and they can provide those to people at a heavily discounted rate so you might you might get a family meal for six dollars it might be a big lasagna or something like that um or just individual meals for two or three dollars yeah that's awesome so people who um who are struggling financially who perhaps especially if you've got kids and you, you need a, uh, you're having trouble sort of given the, the nutrition that they need, yeah. you can lean on someone like Food Bank and get access to either free or very cheap um, support. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing because I was discussing with a friend just just literally yesterday talking about food and how much food's wasted nowadays. It's like you, you go back 30, 40 years, everything was was saved and clumped together and put into like a mush or something and then you'd just, you'd eat it for breakfast the next day because you just wouldn't, you wouldn't think of throwing stuff away. But now food's become so readily available it's stored it's so easy yeah for, for the majority of us but there's the likes of people that are not out there and there's people out there who can't can't afford and i know in the uk they have quite a lot of food banks over in the uk and uh, there's always arguments with the government who you know the government's or the labor party want to give more the conservatives don't want to give more and it's and it, it's huge but to be able to supply food for, for people off scraps, is, it, it makes sense. Like, number one, it's helping someone. Number two, the, the, the climate and the environment that, it's, like, that we're doing. And number three, you, know, you, you get to then go out and do something that's uh, amazing, like a race or a competition to, to, uh, to provide for it and, and continuously do that as well. It's awesome. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I think tying it into that charity and the fundraising yeah. obviously helps raise a bit of awareness, but it, it makes me more motivated as well. Yeah. Um, once you sort of start promoting these things and make them public, there's no pulling out anymore. Like, yeah. I'm committed now. Yeah. If you're listening to this, you know, I'm, sort of, <laughs> I'm committed to it. And if I pull out now, obviously that's a failure to me. So yeah. um, sort of it makes me accountable and sort of makes me committed 
rather than just sort of doing it behind the scenes and yeah. and having the option of apps get three months into the training, go, it's a bit too hard, let's pull the bit. Yeah. And you're going to have a website and stuff where people can go on there and they can support this? Absolutely. So we're just in the process of building out a, a page on our own company website, which is for our Masogi Challenge. So this is our first annual Masogi Challenge. Um, and Masogi is a Japanese term where it's basically a Masogi Challenge from what I've read with various people that do these sorts of things is it's a sort of a, you're seeking out pain in order to grow, you're stepping outside your comfort zone, mm-hmm. normally once a year. Um, there's some NBA players that I follow that do things like this that um, in the off season, they'll just, they'll do something that, that really tempts failure. You've got to have a sort of 50-50 chance of not being able to complete it. It has to be that difficult. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'll be, we seem to do each year now moving forward and hopefully bring some other people in to get involved like next year, with yeah. the, the run we'll talk about. Um, so the, that page will be up soon and that will sort of document the history of all of the years that we'll, we'll run it. And then off there, you'll have a link to the fundraising page for Foodbank. Yeah, cool. Um, and I think it's important to note that we, the, the business sponsoring means that we're covering all costs yep. and anything that's raised goes 100% to Foodbank and they use it very wisely. So Yeah, okay. So just for, for, for the, the sake of the audience, Misogi, how, how, do, how do you spell that for uh, the, the website? M-I-S-O-G-I. Um, there will be uh, our website is uh, CP Advisory for Capital Property Advisory and it'll be forward slash Masogi. Yeah. Um, but if you just Google Capital Property Advisory, you'll find it on our page uh, probably by the time this thing's available. Yeah, awesome. So before we uh, we, we we close up, there's there's a there's a couple of questions that I always ask everyone when they come on this podcast. And number one is being performance through health. Um, number one is always that. What do you think you need to be doing to take your levels of performance to the next next steps? Um, learning, probably seeking advice from people like yourself. Yeah, um, I've got a pretty good, I've got a bro science level of knowledge. <laughs> um, I'm far from a scientist, but I enjoy it, and I'm taking a lot of content. I try and decipher what's right and what's wrong. Um, but I think just continuing to learn myself, but also leaning on people, especially when big events like this. Yeah, um, I'll definitely get in contact with you and get some good advice around my nutrition and my training plan. Yeah, just drop us a message <laughs> next time. I know you can't do that today, but because um, you've obviously got to shoot off for some business. But I'd be, I reckon it'd be great for you to get on the uh, the, the power brief and also. Uh, nu- sure. nu- nutrition as well we can do some testing like i've got some uh, tests we can test how strong you are in terms of your diaphragm and stuff now and then we- <laughs> you'll be surprised because uh, quite people who are athletic quite have, have um, you know, quite strong diaphragms anyway but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't improve it you can still get 20 percent, 25 percent improvements and you and you notice that after two weeks you'll notice that your breathing's easier after four weeks you notice yeah, you're, you're recovering faster and then obviously with the nutrition and stuff we just talked about a little bit as well second question is um, about health in the world, I look at the world now, and especially in Western society, we've got a you know, global issues with obesity. We've got issues with chronic disease, stress, depression, anxiety, mental health issues. If you could change anything in the world to improve the health, what would you change? I, th- I don't know. Look, I, I try. And, these are complex problems that I'm not smart enough to solve, <laughs> but um, I have some opinions, and I guess. I'd like to see the government a little bit more involved in sort of whether it's taxing things that people shouldn't be consuming, whether it's making um, better nutrition available to people who perhaps don't have the, the funds to be able to go out and, and buy that quinoa salad. Yeah. Like we, like or the education. Yeah. yeah. Or the knowledge. Yeah. So I guess it probably starts with education in yeah. schools, making sure kids understand what is good and what's bad to put in your body. Yeah. I remember when I went to school in America um, and the cafeteria was basically piles of burgers from Burger King, from McDonald's. Really? And that was basically... So like sponsoring the schools. If you didn't want a burger, you didn't eat, basically. Jeez. Um, and that was 20 years ago, and I'm sure it's changed, maybe not in America, but certainly over here we've got more 
um, education in schools around nutrition. I think there's some parameters that have been yeah. set, and that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, obviously, I'm not sure the taxing idea really works. They tax cigarettes. It just means that people that don't have a lot of money are spending more on cigarettes and yeah. probably spending less on nutrition. Yeah. So I don't have the answers, mate, but I'm sure there's something that we could do that's a little bit better than what we're doing currently. You've just, you know, that's, that's great, like considering you're just about to have a, a baby. Like, you, you know you know what you need to do to make sure that you, you, your little daughter doesn't come into a world without the knowledge of eating properly and being healthy in, in that way. So yeah, good good on you. Um, so obviously you've mentioned about how people can uh, donate to charity, but if people want to contact you for, for business or in general for, for advice, how do they get in contact? Uh, again, Google Capital Property Advisory. Um, jump on the website and there's contact forms through there that'll, that'll get through to me. Uh, my details are on there as well if you want to contact me directly. My email's Matthew with two T's at cpadvisory.com.au. So anyone who wants to talk about the event, wants to look at sponsorship or donation, um, get in touch with me and we'd be happy to talk to you. Awesome. It's been awesome to, to chat and get through get through a lot there within a within the space of an hour. And f- and thanks for the you know the invite for the walk around this morning. We, we we talked, it allowed me to to talk through my business ideas and reconnect with my vision again. And I, I kinda wasn't asking you too much because I wanted to talk more about you on, on this podcast, yeah. but you pulled a lot of information out of me. So thanks for coming on. Absolutely, mate. Thanks for having me. Cool. And thanks to all you guys that listen to this as well. I really appreciate your support. And uh, if you can do, go over to uh, you know, Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast you use and, and just you know, give me a review or feedback. I don't have much feedback on here at all. And I always wanted to improve. So if you really enjoy it, go and give me a five-star review because it really helps. Thanks.